anyone and everyone could potentially be a whistleblower. So whistleblowers are people who see things that they're concerned about, whether it be a violation of law, rule, or regulation, or other types of misconduct, and speak up about it. So being a witness to something questionable can happen to anybody. Today on Working It, we're looking at the contentious topic of whistleblowing, from how to manage a whistleblower on your own team to how to be one. I'm Isabel Berwick, and to help me untangle it, I'm joined by Brooke Masters, the FT's chief business columnist and Working It regular. Brooke, you've always been really interested in whistleblowing. Why is that? Basically, most of the big scandals, although not all, obviously, have come because somebody blew the whistle on someone else. And I'm really interested in the kinds of people who get so annoyed with their employer or with somebody they're dealing with that they actually go and call authorities. I think also being American, I have sort of a little guy versus big guy view of this is like somebody small is blowing the whistle and making somebody big change. But what's the origin story of whistleblowing? Because I think it's not even American. It goes back further than that, doesn't it, to medieval England? That's true. There are some laws back since you know Edward III where you could basically complain about government waste or mismanagement and reap some reward for doing that. In the U.S., which is where everybody thinks of it being from, it was sort of codified during the Civil War when President Abraham Lincoln got just so angry at people who were providing shoddy materials to the war office for fighting the Civil War. And so they passed a law that actually is still basically in force, saying that if you knew of something that was terrible happening, you could sue on behalf of the government and the government could then join you if it wanted to and it believed in your case. And if it recovered money, you got some money. It's called a Kitam lawsuit, which I think is Latin for something important. Let's not go too far down that Latin road. Yeah. But um, why do you think there's so much misinformation and fear about whistleblowing? I think we see a lot of negative stories about what happens to whistleblowers. Is it because of us, because of media representation? I actually think there are not a lot of really good protections for whistleblowers. I mean, you can sue and you can recover money if it involves the federal government. But if you blow the whistle on somebody private... It wasn't until the 70s that there was much protection at all for you. So actually, people do retaliate against whistleblowers. One of the things to keep in mind, as somebody who has spoken to any number of whistleblowers, is often they are a little quirky. I mean, if you get to the point where you're calling the media or you're calling the Securities and Exchange Commission on your bosses, you're really pissed off. And often you're not a happy person and you may come across as a little nutty. So companies often stomp on them. Nobody wants to hear about trouble. And Although they are supposed to take this sort of thing seriously, particularly if the whistleblower is angry or unhappy for other reasons as well, it's very easy to dismiss them. I also think in the UK, having come here as an American, there's a much more sense of don't be a rat, which I think is a real problem. But I, it is very culturally important. Right. So the sort of the culture of a murder inside companies can often keep people silent. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, if it doesn't work out and what you complain about doesn't turn into something, then you're probably going to get blackballed from the industry because you call you know, whatever industry you happen to be working in. There's a big risk if you're a whistleblower. And in the UK, you often don't even get compensated for it. So yes, you know, it's one thing to raise a concern internally. It's another thing to bring in the lawyers or bring in the government. 
So to find out a bit more about whistleblowing and to get some advice about what would happen if you find something going wrong in your own company, I called up the National Whistleblower Centre, which is a US whistleblower advocacy group based in Washington, D.C. Oftentimes, the stories that we hear are very mainstream and very centred on a specific type of whistleblower. And it's so heartbreaking to think about whistleblowers like the doctor who uncovered COVID-19, who spoke up about the fact that this was not just the flu, it was an actual virus that was highly contagious and was killing people. And he died. This is Siri Nelson, and she's the executive director of the National Whistleblower Centre and has dedicated a huge proportion of her professional life to supporting whistleblowers after catching the bug for the topic at college. She gives some really inspiring examples of people who've made a big difference by speaking out. But then we also have people who have made some organisational shifts that are a little bit more undervalued, like Kimberly Young-McClear, who spoke up about gross misuse of power at the Coast Guard and how there was prevalent bullying at the U.S. Coast Guard and harassment and discrimination. And she was retaliated against for that. And she went from being a person who was the victim of retaliation to being a leader in her community and establishing an organization called DHS Spectrum, which is designed to ensure that federal employees experience inclusion and are accepted for who they are. And she made major organizational change for federal employees who otherwise would be targeted for diversity issues, for harassment, for discrimination. And now they have some place to go to find community. That might not seem like that huge of a change, but that's the kind of whistleblowing that affects people's daily lives. I'm really interested that Siri picked the example there of someone who's not famous. You know, not all whistleblowers are Edward Snowden. Have you worked on stories where we've talked to whistleblowers in sort of, say, smaller businesses that have made a difference? I have definitely interviewed whistleblowers who've made a really big difference. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Noreen Harrington, who worked in the Stern family office. That's a very wealthy family in the U.S. And she discovered that people who were working in another part of the office had worked out a deal. They were running a hedge fund and they were able to trade in and out of mutual funds, which is what ordinary people use to make money, in a way that they were siphoning off profits. And so she placed a series of phone calls to the New York Attorney General's office saying, there's something very strange about the relationship between these hedge funds and these mutual funds, and I don't think it's right. And eventually, the Attorney General's office followed up, and it turned out dozens of mutual funds were basically selling out their ordinary retail investors by allowing these hedge funds to trade in and out and in that way, take profits. Essentially, what would happen is they would take money out of Asian hedge funds where you basically knew where the market was going to move. They could trade knowing that they were going to win. And that meant that people like me who have normal investments and depend on this to fund their pensions were just going to have lower and lower returns. It ended up being a billions of dollar scandal involving tons and tons of mutual funds. And it was all about Noreen who simply heard this and thought, this is not okay. And she called and she left any number of anonymous messages with them and really sparked an enormous scandal. Wow. So that was just from overhearing or being part of an office. She heard something that she didn't feel right and she went with it, which is very brave, actually. That's a really 
interesting example. But I was wondering if whistleblowing was changing as our culture changes. We see so many people being called out on Twitter. People are posting things on Twitter where they see wrongdoing inside organisations. You know, has whistleblowing had its day, do you think? Are people just going to go on social media instead? I wonder about that. I think with things like allegations of sexual harassment and allegations of racial misbehavior and things, there is a real strong interest in calling people out publicly because that may not be necessarily clearly illegal. It's just badly behaved. Although sometimes it is obviously illegal. I think with financial wrongdoing, we will still see whistleblowing because often those are very technical. The details of what's gone wrong is not necessarily obvious and you can't do it in you know 240 characters on a <laughs> tweet. Right. Exactly. So the complexity of it requires some investigation. But I would have thought that tech generally has made whistleblowing maybe easier or safer for people. I mean, we have much more secure ways to connect. A lot of wrongdoing has been uncovered through, although people are still pretty slack about their emails, aren't they? So often in whistleblowing cases, you see caches of emails being brought up. I think that's true. I, I mean, there are these secure websites, you know, Proton Mail and things like that. And I know people use those to communicate with journalists and to communicate with the regulators and drop a bunch of information that they think someone should see. And those, I think, are really important for the financial cases where you really do need detailed information to make the whistleblowing work. Thinking about that, I mean, our own Wirecard investigation that the FT did relied partly on information that people generously shared with Dan McCrum and his colleagues. And that's a form of whistleblowing. Yes. And I'll put some links to that in the show notes, because that's a really good example of how whistleblowers enabled us to bring that reporting forward. And I was wondering also, I've read some reports about how the pandemic has enabled whistleblowers, partly because we don't feel so attached to corporate culture. You know, the code of silence in the office has been broken. Have you seen examples of this, Brooke, or are you aware that it's happening? Yes, absolutely. The number of calls to the SEC Whistleblowing Centre has just shot up. And I think that's partly because people don't feel as connected to their community and therefore are more able to step back and say, wait, what we're doing is not right. But also they're physically not in the office, so they feel safer. I mean, because if you're standing in your kitchen, then it's a lot easier to go call the Department of Justice than it is if you are on a trading floor with everyone sitting around you. And there, you know, in a trading floor, there's a lot of limitation on what kinds of outside communication tools you can use. And so, you know, at home, you can obviously pick up your personal cell phone a lot more easily and take a screenshot. That's interesting. And I've read a lot about how the pandemic has caused more people to whistleblow. But according to Siri, it may also have had the opposite effect. It's potentially even having a chilling effect on whistleblowing activities, especially for those who are in a position that they feel they've come into the office because they were forced into the office. They don't have a lot of agency at work and may not feel comfortable coming forward with their concerns for fear of retaliation. Many people who have concerns at work simply choose to leave their jobs rather than raise those concerns. So anyone who had the option to leave most likely is in the process of leaving right now. As we can see in the economy, there's this in the United States, we're calling it the great resignation. People are leaving their jobs in droves. And anybody who stays at a job where they have concerns, I would guess that they don't feel that they have many other options. And that doesn't tend to lead to whistleblowing activity. But Brooke, is it always career-ending to be a whistleblower? I've read so many really sad and depressing stories. What happens to people who've been in high-profile cases? 
Sometimes the people who have been in high-profile cases do end up sort of creating a persona for themselves as somebody who blows the whistle and has a sense of being the kind of person who is willing to, you know, say the emperor has no clothes. I'm thinking of Harry Markopoulos, who tried to get the SEC to investigate Bernie Madoff. He spotted that Madoff was a Ponzi scheme, like, years and years before Madoff turned himself in. And the SEC, you know, took his tips, looked at him, and famously at one point said, well, maybe we should get the data on this. And then they had a conversation like, oh, gosh, it'd be a lot of work. I don't think so. So they let it go. So Harry was right. And he ended up giving congressional testimony. He wrote a book. He is a forensic investigator by trade. So in a way, you would think this would probably be okay for his career because he is the kind of person who's supposed to spot fraud. But I don't get the sense it's been, you know, personally all that rewarding for him. That's a really interesting example, Brooke, because I've heard a lot about Bernie Madoff. I've read a lot, but I've never really thought much about the whistleblower. So is it that they don't get any long-term recognition or fame from it? You know, Madoff was running the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world and died in prison. He took billions off investors. It's an incredible story. But I guess the whistleblower did the right thing. And I spoke to Siri Nelson for advice on what to do if you, as a listener, are thinking of blowing the whistle. I would recommend finding an attorney as quickly (laughs) as you can. (laughs) If you are serious about raising your concerns, the first thing to do is find an attorney that can help you understand the legal protections in your local area. Every country has different whistleblower protection rules that are very specific to the sector, to the information that's being shared, whom that information is being shared with, and how that information was obtained. And having a lawyer will help you navigate all of those things. It's difficult to find a good lawyer. A lot of times whistleblowers start off with a general attorney who doesn't have expertise in whistleblower issues. So it's important to actually ask the attorney about their expertise. Another way people can simply safeguard themselves is by learning about this before they are encountering any type of wrongdoing. That means finding about whistleblower protections, getting an idea of whether there are any whistleblower attorneys in your area before you see anything wrong, before you actually have to blow the whistle so you're prepared. That's visiting websites like National Whistleblower Center's website, whistleblowers.org, and reading our FAQs that are relevant to your sector so you know what to do if you do see something wrong. Thank you. And just to continue that, how can listeners or how can we best support our friends and family or colleagues who are whistleblowers or thinking of speaking out? Mm -hmm. So one thing is to just create space for people to raise concerns and seriously have them be considered. Another thing is to support people when they do come to you with their concerns at work and help them understand that you do believe them and you do trust them and you'll back them up no matter what happens. Oftentimes, especially work colleagues, go from being close friends to totally alienating the whistleblower because they're afraid of being the target of retaliation as well. The Enron whistleblower, Sharon Watkins, she speaks very well on this because she was a well-loved, high-ranking businesswoman at Enron. Siri's referring there to Enron, the giant US energy company that collapsed 20 years ago. Forbes magazine had named it the country's most innovative company six years in a row. But in the summer of 2001, a vice president named Sharon Watkins sent a memo to Enron's chief executive pointing out that the company's finances were sustained by accounting practices backed by fraud and corruption. 
Enron collapsed before it had time to fire Ms Watkins, which it was planning to do, and she testified to government hearings about what she'd found. And when she blew the whistle, people that she had barbecues with, people that she, you know, really considered some of her closest friends, turned on her and rejected her and participated in retaliation that was being targeted against her. And it broke her heart. And we hear these stories from whistleblowers so frequently. You know, you go from best friends to enemies in a blink of an eye when you decide to speak up against wrongdoing. And having a culture that's the opposite of that, having a culture that accepts when people raise concerns and encourages people to speak up is a great way to make sure that your friends and family will always feel safe if they choose to blow the whistle. Listening to Siri there, it really made me realise that so many of these stories are really personal. These are people who weren't heard. And with so many more companies focusing on inclusion and listening, do you think there'll be fewer whistleblowers in future, Brooke? I would like to believe that's true. I think often when you talk to whistleblowers, they are people who didn't feel included and didn't feel listened to, often because they aren't part of the dominant culture. And they did question the way that people did things. I think as a team leader, you hopefully don't ever want to have a whistleblower because that means there's something really wrong. If you listen to people's concerns and are accepting of the fact that they are questioning the way you do something or the way some star is doing something that you know ordinarily people don't question, you know, Jim is good, don't ask questions about Jim. I think if you actually listen and try to sort out how much of this is a interpersonal dynamic, how much of this is just you know somebody who's difficult, and how much is actually a genuine concern, then we perhaps won't need whistleblowers of the type who have to like go to the SEC and complain about you. You can stop wrongdoing before it becomes a really big problem. Yeah. If we all learn to be a little bit less defensive and a little bit more open and listening, it could go a very long way, I think. But as Siri says, if it does come to it, please get yourself an attorney. With many thanks to Siri Nelson and Brooke Masters. If you want to read more about whistleblowers, I'll put some link to FT articles in the show notes and also to some about the whistleblower in the Wirecard case that we recently reported. And do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. We're at workingit at ft.com or with me at Isabel Berwick on Twitter and Instagram. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. With thanks to the producer Anna Sinfield, executive producer Joe Wheeler, with research from Pippa Smith and Lee Meyer. We have editorial direction from the FT's Renee Kaplan and production support from Persis Love. Next week, the four-day week, is this the secret source that'll lead to increased efficiency and productivity for everyone? 